This morning is uh, from Luke chapter 1, verses 67 to 79. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. Amen. You may be seated. Maybe you believe blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. As Jack just read, we will be in Luke chapter 1. Uh, we were there last week. We'll uh, be there again this week. As you remember, last week we looked at uh, God is worthy of our worship. And this morning we're going to look at God is worthy of our joyous service. And just as a recap from last week, we talked about that this period that the Lord had been silent for almost 400 years. And that God had been proclaiming things and promises all throughout the Old Testament. And then in Malachi, he goes silent for 400 years. And this, in this moment is where God uh, shows back up on the scene to Zechariah when Zechariah goes into the temple to do his, uh, his yearly service, to, pro, to do sacrifices in the temple. And in the temple, he begins to do those sacrifices. Then the angel Gabriel shows up in the Holy of Holies and has this conversation with Zechariah and makes this promise that God, who had been silent, will speak through his son, who had not yet been born, and you remember, uh, Zacharias says to the angel Gabriel, uh, are you sure? Uh, he says, I'm old and my wife's older. Um, and the angel says, yes, the promise will come true that God will grant your wife a son through you. We'll have a son name. You will name him John. He will be John the Baptist and he will prepare the way of the Messiah. The Messiah is going to come, but your son is going to prepare the way for him to come. And because of Zechariah's unbelief or his distrust in the Lord, you know the story that Zechariah is made silent. And so for nine months, Zechariah has been silent with uh, his people and with his wife and with his relatives and can't speak other than write it down. And here in this moment is where God, because of Zechariah's trust in the Lord and sees the provision of the Lord, he breaks his silence. And in breaking the silence, he sings this song or this benedictus to the Lord. And remember, he started it off by saying, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who had visited us and redeemed us. And then we talked last week about what that redemption looks like and what it means for us and how we are to praise the Lord because of his sacrifice, his sending of his son Jesus for us. And that's what we study and that's what we prepare for in this season called Advent. Remember the word Advent means the coming or the, the anticipated arrival of and what what is our anticipation of in this season? It's we're getting ready for Christmas. The Christmas is that Christ gave, came 
to live a life that we could not live, a perfect life, and to become a sacrifice for us. And so in this Advent season, we are reminding ourselves that the Savior came. And Christmas is way more than about a tree and some gifts. It's about this day that had came, that Christ came to redeem us, His people. And so for us this morning, what does that look like? What does that mean? What is our response in this Advent season? We said last week it was to worship this week, it's for a holy service. So the advent of Christ enables our hearts to rise in joyous service to God. Let's turn to Malachi chapter 4. Remember what he said. These are the last words that God had spoken to his people. And then went silent for 400 years. Malachi chapter 4 verses 2 and 3. But you who fear my name, talking to his people, you, my people who fear My name, God, the Son of Righteousness, shall rise with healing in its wings. That's a proclamation and a declaration of His Son who's going to come and shine light into the darkness as Jack just read to us uh, in uh, the the 78th verse, uh, or the 78th verse of the Benedictus. He said, and will rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. Just there's this excitement that will happen. Verse 3, And you shall tread down the wicked, and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on that day when I act. Not you act, when God acts, he says, says the Lord of hosts. And so this morning we come with that anticipation. We come looking at this Benedictus and we say to ourselves, and is it true for us, has the advent of Christ enabled our hearts to have a joyous service to the Lord? And so this morning we're going to look at service, but in doing so I want to look at that one word first. Joy. Joyous service. I think we can do a lot of service, but does it, does it come with joy? So what does the word joy mean to you? When you think of the word joy, what is that thought that pops into your head? For me, the things I look back on, I look back on with fondness with great joy the first the first one is my wedding day i can remember uh it was a church almost identical to this and i'll never forget myself my best friend dave and the pastor were at that very spot behind that door in that waiting area and uh they had a church uh the windows was cut into a cross very small and i remember peeking out and seeing all the people and all that sudden uh, the, the place was full and that moment my heart just had joy it's like I wanted to laugh and I wanted to cry I wanted to smile and I wanted to tear up and that the joy came over me and then I remember us walking out and coming down to the middle and then everyone coming and then uh, you know that moment in a wedding where they they're going from one song and it transitions to uh, the the bridal song and that moment happened in the back of the church flung open and I remember standing looking at Jenny in her white dress and in that, again in that moment I teared up and yet I, I didn't even want to stand there I wanted to run down to her to greet her and that joy that overwhelming joy for me and then her coming down I made a fool of myself that day um, it was not good uh, I remember I came we came up here we were standing at the altar um, reciting our uh, lines to each other and I remember the pastor saying uh, say I do after each one and so we get to the last one and like a moron I said I totally do I was like what did I just say unbelievable uh, and that place was full and the laughter happened 
but I just remember and then walking out with her and that joy, just the joy of my wedding day. The second two days are, are much the same. Uh, for us, we had, I didn't think the Lord, Jenny had a C-section, us, I didn't have a C-section. I, man, I, I was uh, giddy as giddy could be, and Jenny was all doped up. She probably doesn't remember much of it. I didn't have a C-section. She said, she did. But I'll never forget when they, they brought Tennyson, and you know, they, they, in the C-section, they give the dad the first time to hold, and I remember holding Tennyson and looking at her and thinking, oh my goodness, you've come into the world what am I going to do with you? How am I going to protect you? And oh, what a gift you are to me. And again, that moment of joy flooding my heart of wanting to cry, wanting to smile, wanting to hold her, and wanting to kiss her. And that same was true for Cedar. And so I remember those moments of joy. And I wonder as you sit here, as you hear those stories, what are the stories that flood your mind, but more importantly, your heart of joy? What is the joy that you have? What does joy mean to you well in this passage we see what Zechariah's joy was and, and the key verse in all of this benedictus for us this morning comes out of uh, out of verse 74 let's look at 74 because what he's saying here the word fear if you take fear the opposite of fear would, it would be joy and so he said we're gonna what he says in verse 74 that we, he's talking about we, God's people. We, God's people. We, the church. You, the believer this morning. Do we, this morning, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, that we might serve Him without fear. And so this morning, we're going to look at what did it look like for Zechariah to serve the Lord without fear, with joy in his heart. But see, it's got to come out of an overflow of our worship for who God is. That's why we started the Advent series, we're the worship of God. Because if we don't worship Him, we will not serve Him. And if we don't worship Him, we'll have no joy in our service to Him. And so for us this morning, what we're going to look at is why do we have joyous service? Why do we serve the Lord with great joy? And so the question for me, the question for you is this as we get started. Do you have a joyous service to the Lord? This is what Kent Hughes says about joyous service. He says this in his uh, commentary. Joyous service is a hallmark of lives where the Son, Jesus, has risen. Christianity not only delivers us, but it also infuses on our lives, lives with purpose. That is what service is. Do we as Christ's sons and daughters serve Him because of the infusion of the Holy Spirit into our lives? I believe it's got to come out of this. It's got to come out of a constant reminder that God has done for us what we could not and would not do for ourselves. That we were incapable of doing for ourselves. It's called our salvation. You see, if I remember the joy of my salvation, as David says in Psalm 51, 12, restore to me, what? The joy of your salvation. And so do I, am I, are you, are we the church reminded of the service that Christ did for us on the cross? That's our salvation. 
Because when we begin to be reminded of all that Christ has done for us and is coming in this Advent series that he came out of heaven onto this lowly planet to serve us, then we will worship him and out of our worship we will joyfully serve him. Amen? And so for us, it starts there. As you sit here this morning, do you have the joy of his salvation? Not your salvation, of his salvation. As you sit there this morning, you see the story I didn't share with you was the very first time I ever knew who Christ was, that moment when I was a senior in high school. Now, I remember it like it was literally last night. I've told this story before. I hate lock-ins with a passion. I was a youth pastor for 10 years, and I hated doing them with a passion. But a lock-in is where God gripped my heart that I was a wicked sinner going to hell. And in that moment, I remember the joy of my salvation. My friend, who was 16 at the time, I was 18 at the time, led me in the sinner's prayer that I received Christ as my Lord and Savior. Man, that joy trumps all other joys. But are we reminded of that? Have we grown stale of our salvation? You see, my prayer is and my hope is in this Christmas season, it's not that we've gotten our salvation as the greatest gift we've ever gotten. and, And it's like Cedar who would rather play with the box than the toy that the toy came in. Or it's like that gift that we gave him last year, that that anticipated gift for him or Cedar. And I promise they have no idea where that toy is or the toy's broken. And I often think to myself, do I treat the gift of my salvation like a Christmas present? I don't remember being five years old and walking through the tree. I couldn't tell you the gift that was under that tree that day. And my great fear for us as believers is that we receive the greatest gift ever, ever, and we've forgotten the gift that we've received. And in doing so, because we've forgotten the greatest gift that we've ever received, that we don't serve the Lord with joy because of what David says, that we need him in this very moment to restore to me the joy of my salvation. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. You, You see, the advent of Christ enables our heart to rise with joyous service to God. He does this because we have joy because of two things. We see it in verses 72 and 73. We serve the Lord with joyous service because of what he says in 72 and 73. Let's look quickly there. Two words, circle them in your Bible. To show the mercy promised to our forefathers and to return his holy covenant. We come and we serve the Lord with great joy for two reasons. The mercy that he's shown us and his holy covenant. First, the word mercy. The word mercy means this, not getting what we do deserve. The word mercy means not getting what we do deserve. What do we deserve? Turn over to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, the first line of the, the verse says this. And we're all here. None of us is in this room are exempt from this. You see, the people of God, as Zechariah would have known the people of God, had what had rebelled against God. That's one of the reasons that God went silent for 400 years. Because of their disobedience, because of their sin. 
And if you remember from the very uh, day of creation, after creation, sin has smeared the peace of God for us. And the people of God had gone on time after time after time after time and what? Disobeyed God. You remember the story when Moses went up to hear from God to get the Ten Commandments. God says, hey, there's something going on down there that you need to address. They had forgotten who God was and they built a calf to worship that God. And you see throughout the story of the Old Testament, God's chosen people acting in direct rebellion against God. That is sin. Sin means missing the mark. The mark, we've studied this before, the mark for us is holiness. God said to his people, be a holy people. And they chose sin over holiness. And yet in this moment, Zechariah is crying out to God as a place of worship to God, saying to God, hey, we need to remember your great mercy on us. Right? So what does Paul say about the mercy of God? What does Paul say about our sin? Romans 6. 23 says this, for the wages of sin is what? Death. And so for us, we remember the joy of our salvation because of what we deserve. We deserve death because of our sin. I know this doesn't sound like a Christmas message, but I promise the gift is coming. And so for us this morning... It is true for every one of us in this building, even down to the smallest of smallest, Cedar and Hannah, that they deserve death because of their active rebellion against God. But God showed us his great mercy. While we were yet sinners, he what? He died for us. Again, we see in James chapter 1, verse 15, this is what it says. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings what? Death. So somebody has to step in the way of death because of our sin, and that's what the advent of Christ shows us this morning. This morning, as you sit here, are you reminded of God's great mercy? As you sit here this morning, even over the last 24 hours, we have all sinned. And yet God's great mercy is showered on you in this very place today. Are we reminded of our great salvation? And are we reminded this morning of His great mercy? That's the first thing that we're reminded. The second one is, just as important are we reminded of god's holy covenant with us turn over to genesis chapter 15 this is another thing that god that zacharias is praising god for not only does he say in verse 72 uh, that we we you showed us this great mercy that you promised us but you also what you remembered your holy covenant with us and so genesis 15 is the covenant the abrahamic covenant if you will And the Abrahamic covenant was this, that God came to Abraham and made a promise to Abraham that Abraham would have a son. 
Again, it's, it's, it's kind of a foreshadowing what he's doing with Zechariah, that he comes to Abraham, Abraham's old, Sarai's old, and says to Abraham, hey, I'm going to make you a great nation, and I'm going to bless this nation, and out of this nation will rise a Savior. And what does Abraham do? I don't know about that, man. It's kind of like from Different Strokes. Who remembers the show Different Strokes? What you talking about, Willis? That's kind of what Abraham says, kind of what Zachariah says to God. What you talking about, Willis? And in that moment, God makes this promise or this covenant to Abraham. The covenant, covenants in the Old Testament were a big deal. They were a huge promise. And if you broke covenant or a promise with whoever you made that promise with, it deserved death. And so in Genesis chapter 15, we see that God says to Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant with you. You're not going to make a covenant with me. God says, I'm going to make a promise to you. And he says, Abraham says, well, how do I know this is going to be true? And then he breaks him down. He brings him through what we call the Abrahamic sacrifice or the Abrahamic covenant, which God said, hey, go get a bull, go get a, um, go get a bird, go get a dove, cut it in half. In doing so, they would cut it in half, put one on one side and one on the other side, and blood would be everywhere. I know it's graphic, but it's a foreshadow of the blood that was broken for you and I through Christ. And what would happen was you would take both halves of those sacrifices and you'd lay them on the ground and blood would go everywhere. And then one would walk through it and the other would walk right with them through it and the blood would be on them. And that covenant or that promise would bind them together that no one could break. And if one of them broke it, punishment had to come. And in that moment, there's only one person that walks through that covenant. He puts Abraham asleep and then God walks through and says to Abraham, I have made this promise. You have not made the promise with me, but I've made a promise to you. And in that moment, Abraham is saying, as God is saying to Abraham, I will keep my promise. Turn over. This is a few uh, chapters later in Genesis chapter 22. He says this. 16 and 18. This is what the Lord declares. By myself, I by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and you have not withheld your son. He's talking to Abraham and saying to Abraham, this is the promise because you've been obedient to me. You've not withheld your son, your only son. Sound familiar? Every story, the Old Testament points to the story. As you read throughout the Old Testament, that's the reason we're doing the Gospel Project. That's the reason that every story that you've heard over the last two weeks in starting the Gospel Project is all pointing us back to one main character, Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing in this moment. It's a foreshadow again. Remember, Abraham took his only son and sacrificed him. And then God delivered him because of his obedience. 17, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars in the heaven and as the sands of the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and your offspring shall be in all the nations and the earth will be blessed 
because you have obeyed my voice. That's a foreshadow of the advent of Christ. And that moment, back in Genesis chapter 22, God has made a promise to Abraham that he would send the Savior through the line of Abraham. And he does it. And so in this moment, Zechariah is praising God for remembering his covenant way back in Genesis chapter 15 through 22. Again, Exodus chapter 2, God remembers and hears us. He says this. This is during the exile. This is during the exodus. This is when they're leaving uh, Egypt and they're wandering around in the wilderness. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel, what they groaned because of their slavery and cried out for God. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God, what, remembered his covenant he made with who? Abraham. That God would spare Abraham's line for a Savior to come out of. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel. And God knew. Three things in this passage for us as the same promise. Three words jump way out on the page underline them in your bible the first one is this you don't hear anything else i say this morning remember these three words that god hears you in your groaning i don't know where you are this morning but maybe this morning that you need to cry out to god for wherever you are at maybe you don't have joyous service to the lord because you've forgotten your salvation and forgetting your salvation you are like the israelites that are wandering around in the desert well here's the great promise that we see in this text god does three things he first hears you god hears you in your groaning this morning not because of you but because of his remembrance of his great covenant towards you the th second word is this not only that he remembers his promise he's made to you, the believer. And the last one is this. He knows. Man, for me, out of all the words in that text, that's the most comforting. That God in this moment, and you're groaning and you're crying out to, to God, he knows exactly where you are at. You are not reminding him where you're at and you're groaning. He already says, I know where you're at. God is with us through it all god is faithful through it all god hears god remembers and god knows let's look at what one of the writers says um, lee and duncan says this this is about the song this is about the benedictus this is about what zachariah is crying out to god singing back to god do you see how this song constantly emphasizes what the activity of god in our redemption Throughout this whole song, Zechariah is pointing back to the redemptive work of God through his covenant with his people. But it's not a song about how we save ourselves. It's not a song about how God helps those who help themselves. It's a song about God's sovereignly coming in, in answer to his own word, his own promise, his own oath, his own covenant, and redeeming and rescuing his own people. And Zechariah proclaims that with great joy. You see, this 
song is not about Zechariah. This song is not about John the Baptist. This song has nothing to do with Zechariah or John the Baptist. It has everything with God the Father through Jesus Christ, his son. And in that moment, he is reminding himself of the great promise that God has bestowed on him through his salvation. And so Zechariah is remembering God's great mercy and God's great holy covenant with his people. You see, it has to start there for us. We will only have joyous service to the Lord when we constantly remind ourselves of the mercy of God. And then we constantly remind us of all the promises that he's declared to us as his sons and daughters. But here's the beauty of it. It doesn't stop there. The second thing that we see this morning, not only do are, are we have joyous service to God because of his mercies and because of his holy covenant, we, we have joyous service to God because what he delivers us from our enemy or he delivers us from the enemy. Is that what he not says in verse 74? We might serve him without fear. Why? Because what he says right before that, that we, the people of God, being what delivered from the hand of our enemies. And so we can serve the Lord and we do serve the Lord with great joy because we are reminded of his great deliverance from the great, um, the, the, the great evil one, Satan. If you are a believer here this morning, you have been delivered from the bondage of hell. Do we live like that? As believers, do we live as if we are no longer in bondage? Do we live in freedom? And that's what Zechariah is saying to us. It goes back to Exodus chapter 6, verses 5 and 7. Moreover, I heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians held as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will what? I will bring you out under the bondage of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you. See the words. Underline them in your Bible. I will will bring you out. I will deliver you from slavery. I will redeem you with an outstretched hand. With the the great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out under the the burden of the Egyptians. You see, we are reminded this morning that you did not bring yourself out of bondage. That God, through the advent of Christ, through the coming of Christ, who died a perfect death, has redeemed us from the bondage of hell. Do we live like that as believers? Do I live like that as a believer? Do I live in freedom? Here's what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He, Jesus, delivered us from the dominion of darkness. And not only did he deliver us from darkness, Paul says, he what transformed us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of son. Not only have you been set free from the bondage of sin, but now what Paul is saying, you see this throughout the writing of the New Testament, not only are you no longer a bondservant of hell, of Satan, but you are a child of God, a son or daughter of God. That means you are the son or daughter of the great king, which means you are a prince or a princess. Do we live that way? 
Or do we still live as if we live in bondage? Do we still live as if we are outside of the kingdom of God? Do we live as poor, wretched, uh, despicable people? Or do we live as the prince and princesses of God? You see, the same word that God uses for you and me, he used about his own son. He's the prince of peace. And he calls you a prince or a princess of the king. That everything that he gave to Christ, the New Testament, he not only gave to Christ, but now he's bestowed on you. Do we live that way? Do we live that way? Being reminded that he, God the Father, through Christ the Son, delivered us from the bondage of hell, from the bondage of sin. Do we live that way? Do we live in freedom? Do you remember and do I remember the promises in the gospel? You know, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what you need to be delivered of this morning, but the promise is you are already delivered from those things. I don't know if you sit today with a great anxiety of the rest of the day or tomorrow or the next day. I don't know if you live with great resentment towards those in the past. I don't know if you live today with great apathy. Like it just doesn't matter, whatever. I don't know if you live with a great amount of rage or bitterness or whatever unconfessed sin that you live with today. But the promise is you have been delivered from all those things today. Do we remind ourselves of those things? Because here's what happens. If we don't live in remembrance of his great mercy, we don't live in remembrance of his holy covenant, and we don't remember that we have been delivered from all those things, we will not serve the Lord with joy. We'll serve the Lord these two ways. We'll either serve the Lord because that's what we should do. We should serve the Lord. And we do service to the Lord with this great um, guilt. God does not want your guilty service. I'll say it again. God does not want your guilty service. Or, we'll serve the, or we won't serve the, the Lord at all because we think to ourselves, well, I can't serve the Lord because I'm stuck in sin. And so it's either one or two ways if we're not reminded of all the goodness of the gospel. We'll either serve Him out of obligation or we won't serve at all. Now, I'm not going to get brownie points for this one, but that's all right. My great fear is this for us here at Powell's Chapel. I'm going to address us, the church. Here's kind of the the aim for us. Is that 20% of the people do 100% of the work. That 20% of us in the church serve the Lord faithfully. What is the other 80% of us doing? Are we not serving the Lord with joy? Are you not serving the Lord because you're stuck and you don't believe in the deliverance of the great joy of the Lord? You see, it's a great thing that we had 25 volunteers to do Operation Christmas Child. And I don't say this to shame any of us. I don't know what your schedule had. But that board ought to have been full of names. 
There ought not to have been enough blanks on the names. The, the nominating committee, we ought not to have to come find you to do service to the Lord. We ought not to need a nominating committee. Because you and I serve the Lord with great joy that we can't help ourselves but to serve Him and to serve His great bride, the church. My great fear for us here at Powell's Chapel is this. Are we not in great remembrance of the advent of Christ? And is the advent of Christ not enable our hearts to rise up for joyous service to God? Because we don't remember His great mercy. Because we don't remember His great covenant He made with us. And we don't remember His great deliverance through His Son Jesus to us. You see, if I'm reminded every moment of the day that Christ came and served me with all that He had, that He hung on a cross, He gave up when He became a baby, He gave up the heavens and the heavens and the ruling of the heavens of the heavens. He gave up His throne to come as a baby to lay in a manger to two teenagers. To what? To seek and save those that were lost. If you think of the life of Christ in all that He served us with, it ought to compel us to serve Him. Here's a promise. I'll, take, I'll make it a challenge. My challenge for us this next year, I challenge all of us, let's outserve the Lord. Outserve the Lord. Outserve the church. Outserve your neighbor. Outserve your wife. Outserve your husband. Outserve your kids. Because that's what Christ did for me, and that's what Christ did for you. His service went all the way to the cross. He lost his life in service for me and you and for us, the church. We ought to lose our lives for the service of him. So in closing this morning, I have these three questions. Please do not serve the Lord out of duty. And please don't believe the lie that you can't serve Him because of sin. That's not true either. Here's the three questions in closing. Where or what is your joy in this morning? Maybe you need to say exactly what David said in Psalm 51. Oh God. Restore the joy of my salvation. Maybe it's just there for you this morning. Maybe you've gotten so far away from the moment that you've been redeemed from your sins that you've just forgotten. Start there. This morning, maybe you're so caught up in anxiety, resentment, apathy, rage, bitterness, unconfessed sin, whatever it is, that you need to start with confession and holding on to the promise that if you're a believer here, you've already been delivered. The bondage of hell has been broken. You are free. Live free in your service to Him. And then the last question is this. Are you 
serving the Lord joyfully this morning. Let us close. God, I pray for us here at Powell's Chapel that you this morning and just the quietness of this building over these next few moments before we sing, before we play the piano, we'll just sit quietly. Let's ask ourselves those three questions. Where is your joy this morning? What do you need deliverance from this morning? And are you serving the Lord joyfully this morning? God, in this moment, I pray that you would remind us of your great mercy, your great covenant, and your great deliverance. God, I pray that we would be a church, that we would be a people, that we would each be individual believers that would serve you with joy. We'd serve your church with joy, that we'd serve this community with joy, and we'd serve our families with joy, God. And so today, in this moment, God, as David cried, remind us of the joy of our salvation. God, I pray if there's anyone in here this morning that's stuck, and they're not living in deliverance, God, they're not living in their freedom that's been found in you, that you've given to them, I pray that this morning, God, that they'd come to the altars and they'd cry out to you in forgiveness. And they'd cry out, and then cry out, God, that you... As you say in your word, you hear them. You remember them and you know them. God, do a mighty work in our hearts. Do a mighty work in this church. God, help us serve you with joy. Serve you faithfully the way you served with joy. And you served us faithfully. Pray this in Christ's mighty name. Amen. This morning as John sings, if the altar is open, if this morning you need deliverance or you need to talk to somebody, find me, find one of the deacons. We'd love to talk to you through the gospel and show you how the truth of God is that you are set free, that you can live a joyous, free life in service to the Lord.